The Crash Course Podcast is brought to you by Anchor. Looking to start a podcast but don't know where to start? Look no further than Anchor.fm. Anchor allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your computer or mobile device and will distribute it to other sites such as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. On a budget, not only is Anchor completely free of charge, but will allow you to make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Anchor, it's everything you need in a podcast in one place. Hey everybody, thanks for checking out the podcast. I'm Craig Crash Collins, joined as always by Brandon Scott, otherwise known as B. Scott. We are on a later date, but we still have all the things to talk about, all kinds of things to talk about in today's podcast. We're going to talk about the college football playoff, the national championship game. We're going to talk about... Um, we're going to talk about the NFL playoffs as well. A lot to get to. Um, really excited um, about the first podcast that went up on Anchor, um, Anchor.fm slash Craycrash. Um, got a lot of uh, good feedback from that. So I'm um, really excited for this week's podcast. B. Scott, first of all, um, some uh, some news in your life because we we're going to talk about the NCAA in this, and you now have in this podcast, and you now have an in with the NCAA. Am I am I am I right? That is correct. I'm now an, an official employee of the NCAA. So, so that, that is me. I uh, I'm doing digital content creation for the NCAA and their uh, basketball uh, college basketball academies. That we actually talked about these academies a little bit back on the show uh, a while back. That they uh, created in order to curb. Um, illegal recruiting practices in AAU. This was brought up um, on a panel by uh, Condoleezza Rice, started by her and everything. This is their second year of these academies, and I'm working with them to market these academies in a much better way to get more participation from the top 100 players in the country and uh, try to get as many players in front of college coaches to help them uh, earn those those scholarships so they can go play college basketball, whether it be D1, D2, or D3. So you're start, you know, you've started a new job. It sounds really awesome. I'm really proud of you, B. Scott. We congratulate you here on the uh, Crash Course Podcast and congratulate you on the uh, new job. It's going to be um, a really good opportunity for you. So now, when we talk about the college football playoff and all the changes we want to be, you know, made to different sports in the NCAA, I now know that I can channel all of those requests through you because I have an in now um, at the NCAA offices. So we're. Uh, we're uh, we're excited about that for sure. But before we dive in to the college football national championship game and the college football playoff, we do want to talk about um, the punishment released for the Astros uh, sign stealing scandal um, that came out earlier in the week. Um, Originally wasn't uh, planning on talking about it on this podcast, but especially now that it involves, um, you know, obviously the Boston Red Sox now, not with the scandal itself, but because of who uh, is tied to it. Well, might as well I'm, tie them into the scandal. They're not, still being investigated. Well, true, but I also think because, and we'll get to it a little bit more here in a, in a second, but what the Red Sox themselves did is similar to what the Yankees ha did a few years ago with the replay room, or at least with the way I understand it. Maybe I'm wrong, uh, but I think I think if it were I think Alex Cora, if it were not for 
the uh, be his involvement in the Astros cheating scandal scandal because he, remember he was on the staff with uh, the Astros during that 2017 World Series run, and then it was after that run where he became the uh, manager for the Boston Red Sox. I think if it were not for his involvement in the in the current Boston Red Sox scandal. I don't know if he would have gotten off scot-free, but I don't know necessarily if he would have gotten fired. I think because of the fact that you had... Okay, let's back it up. He was not technically fired. It was a mutual well, right, of right, plays right. because the Red Sox were saying, we don't want to fire him until we know the outcome of the investigation and everything, that uh, what his punishment's going to look like. But Alex Cora saw the writing on the wall with the, with the investigation as far as him and his involvement with the Astros and then carrying stuff over to the Red Sox. And I think they both kind of agreed and said, hey, you know what, the writing's on the wall. Let's go ahead and let's move forward with this. It's probably best for optics um, that we mutually part ways. But this will be, look good for the Red Sox, and it also kind of takes Alec, Alex Cora, you know, it's, it, you know, it just takes it. Him, separates him from the Red Sox and saying, okay, I'm going to be punished for something I've done previously, and I don't want you guys to get drugged down with me. Yeah, and I mean, and that's fair. Um, but I think that, and you're right, that he was not fired. It was, they mutually parted ways. But I think if it were not for that, you know, the, the current, you know, investigation into the Red Sox and coupled with the whole Astros thing, I think if it, that Boston Red Sox issue kind of added to it so I don't know if he necessarily you know would have uh, had the same thing happen you know if if he wasn't having his own scandal right now with the Red Sox oh, on I kind agree. of a lesser I... on, on a lesser scale because um, what the Red Sox were doing is not nearly as bad as what the Astros were doing and and for those of you that don't know um, so this was I think in the you know around around November December, um, is when the news first broke because I knew it was after the World Series uh, was over, but it was an article released, I believe, by the Athletic that said that the Houston Astros, basically, what they were doing is they had a camera fixed on the catcher, um, and then the, uh, the you know the catcher would put down the signs uh, to to tell the pitcher what pitch to throw. And if it was an off-speed pitch, they would bang on a trash can as loud as they could in the dugout to relay to the batter that an off-speed pitch was coming. If there was no banging, it was a it was a fastball. If there was no banging off, or if there was banging off-speed, and so that was how they were, you know, cheating and stealing science. There's been other allegations of other technologies that they've used. That evidence for that is all circumstantial. The main thing was the. Uh, was the banging on the trash can, which I've used to make several uh, Doug references um, because of that, if, if you remember the old TV show Doug. Um, so uh, that was what they were brought down for. And, and if you want to look at like all the evidence, that kind of stuff, um, there is a YouTuber out there. His name is John Boy. He kind of – I don't want to say he headed up the investigation because obviously the MLB did their own, but he did a good job of kind of being – uh, someone who would look at the footage and, and relay it to his viewers, to his followers about what was happening, and, and the evidence was all right there. I mean, uh, you know, he tells, you know, he basically tells you in one of the videos if you search, you know, at Houston, uh, at H. Uh, AT space HOU and then 2017 you can find you know all the games that are put up on YouTube by Major League Baseball and you can go see the evidence of this 
uh, of what they were doing to cheat, like in any of those videos. And so it's just it, if you watch any of his videos as well, the evidence is really damning. Um, and so this happens. And then it was announced earlier in this week that the punishment for the Houston Astros uh, w uh, was the following. One of the th one thing uh, was that the organization was uh, fined five million dollars, which, uh, you know, honestly, that's just that's not e that's not significant at all. Um, but the, the what I kind of wish had happened is I wish that they were. Uh, that that they that the five million or I mean I think if they were to do what I'm about to suggest they would have to up the amount, but I feel like they should have taken ten to fifteen million dollars and take it out of uh, the AAV average annual value uh, of what the team has towards the luxury tax. If you go over the luxury tax, you have to pay more. Um, you know you you get basically taxed for how big your payroll is, and so a lot of teams go by average annual value and I'm not trying or uh, and I'm not trying to get real super technical because I know it can kind of get confusing but basically if they were fined out of you know that kind of situation or you know had money taken out of that then it would basically be like the Astros have an extra free agent that they don't actually have on the team uh, because they they wouldn't have as much money to go sign free agents and that kind of thing that's what that I think would have been more significant but they find the organization whatever not really significant but just kind of adds on. The next thing is is that I believe for the next two seasons, they forfeit their first and second round pick, which that's correct. Which I think a lot of people are saying that's not significant either, based on the fact that oh well they'll be picking towards the bottom of those drafts. Hey, look, I draft picks are draft picks, and when you have drafts like you know where Mike Trout goes in the late twenties, when you have I mean, I went to, uh, to high school with a kid who got drafted in the first round. He got he got uh, drafted in front of Noah Syndergaard, and that was late first round. I mean, there are there is talent at the end of the first round. I mean, obviously, um, it's it'd be like if the Colts didn't get a chance to draft Rocky Asin. Maybe it's not you know the name that bounces off the screen and says you know hey this is the next you know generational talent, but a pick is a pick. It may not be Carlos Correa, Jose Altuve level talent, but it's still going to be talent nonetheless that they're missing out on. So those two, those that punishment is huge. Um, and then the main kind of the meat and potatoes of it all was that uh, the general manager of the Astros and uh, manager AJ Hinch were banned for one year, which I think is again another significant thing. I think, and then obviously. You know, Hinch ends up getting fired as well as the GM by the owner of the Astros. So the Astros decide to fire, you know, Hinch and the GM. So diving into these punishments, obviously, you know how I feel about the $5 million. You know how I feel about the draft picks. Um, I saw kind of mixed reviews about the punishment, uh, which I for one, I think that the that Major League Baseball did a great job. Uh, first of all, I look at other sports uh, where scandals have happened in other scan, you know, other you know, sports scandals of my time, and you know, obviously there's been scandals in the NCAA now, uh, you know, where it takes years and years for them. I mean, it was I think the first you know first season of the podcast when the whole uh, you know Adidas thing out for came out for uh, college basketball that's still Which being invested why, why i have a job now 
Right. So, <laughs> so thank you, Adidas. Right. <laughs> um, so I mean, you know, we're still waiting on that shoe to drop. Uh, you know, we at the time it was billed as, oh, these you know blue blood colleges are gonna get the death penalty, and now it's like, is this even a thing anymore? Are they even still investigating it? And then the closest professional sports scandal to this is obviously Spygate. Um, the NFL didn't do anything for Spygate. Uh, they, they, they took away some draft picks from New England. Obviously, that's significant, or or not, because then, then the Patriots turn into the you know biggest dynasty in NFL history. So I mean, I look at what the Astros did, or excuse me, at what what Major League Baseball did. I like. I like the way that they went about it. Now, you know, we mentioned before we started recording, B. Scott, how, you know, cheating has been a part of baseball. You know, stealing signs has been a part of baseball, not to this degree. And that's why the Astros are getting punished the way that they are, are getting punished. Um, and I think, you know, if you're, if you're, you know, Commissioner Manfred and, and some of the other higher-ups in that room trying to decide the Astros' punishment, what do you have to go on? Literally, other sports drop the ball so many times and you were actually proactive, had a good investigation. I mean, you talk. I mean, in comparison to what they suspend, you know, players now for steroids, it's um, it's you know, eighty games for your first. I think it's a I think it's a full season for your second, and you're banned on your third. So basically, it you know, I mean, I would like to think if the, if the scandal was any worse than this, it would be a lifetime ban. Um, but I I think that it was a you know good to make it a year. I think that that is you know puts it in the owner's court to decide what he wants to do because i don't think you know i don't think a commissioner or any governing body of a league should be telling you know basically forcing a team to fire their manager fire their coach whatever so i so good job there all around i just think it was the right decision i think it was the right moves um and i i think uh, i mean it was obviously jaw-dropping to see what they came up with, but I'm very glad and, and very happy with how Major League Baseball handled it. Yeah, I agree. I think it is the right moves and everything. I think a lot of like the the, the banning or the suspensions of one year, especially for the GM, well, the former GM of the Houston Astros, also a lot of that had to stem with the reports coming out about the um, – like the sexual harassment type stuff coming out of the the, the clubhouse towards well, uh, female reporters. I so, think it was just kind of like a whole bunch of stuff just kind of bubbled up, and the Major League Baseball finally said, "Listen, Houston, here's the hammer. It's dropped." Right now, keep in mind two things about the, the. I think that was the assistant GM that did that. Not saying that makes it right. It doesn't. But also, keep in mind that the punishments were this this extensive too because. The administration of the Astros literally sent out an email saying, "Hey, we want to cheat. Tell us the ways we can." That's, I mean, obviously paraphrased, but <laughs> that's essentially what they said. They sent out an email saying, "Hey, we want to use cameras to steal signs." Um, and so, and, and and like I said, you know, stealing signs has been a part of baseball, but that's usually. You know, it's a player on second relaying to the catcher. The catcher, you know, you know, relaying to his dugout, or it's the runner relaying to his dugout. What he's seeing from the catcher, the catcher and pitcher, then is it's on them to kind of change the sequences and the signs and stuff. That's just kind of a cat and mouse game that happens in game. This was happening, you know, with technology, and that's why it was so extensive. 
Right. Now, what, what's interesting to me is to kind of see where both the Astros and the Red Sox go. Um, obviously, they are both now, we're, here we are just a few weeks away from the start of spring training, and both of them are without managers. The Astros also without a GM. Now, obviously, finding a GM at this point, that's okay, but you, you need a manager going into the season. Um, a lot of things have been talked about. I saw some some reports that, you know, that I saw somebody talking on Twitter saying that they, the, the best moves for both the Astros and the Red Sox would be to hire uh, either Bruce Bochy or Dusty Baker. Cause, because those are just good old boys that are, you know, have long histories in Major League Baseball and whatnot. Yes, I agree. That would be a good move, especially for the Houston Astros to go that route. However, if I'm the Boston Red Sox, I'm going a totally different route. I'm not hiring Dusty Baker or Bruce Bochy. I'm actually going, I'm hiring from within. And from within is Jason Veritek. Jason Veritek is the guy to right the ship in Boston, both on on the field, where the, we saw how the bottom dropped out on the team last year, and also just as a PR move in general. All the fan base would love to see Jason Veritek as the manager. Heck, they wanted to see Jason Veritek as the manager before Alex Cora was even hired. Um, yesterday, there was a press conference about the dismissal, or whatever it may be, of Alex Cora, and several times the team president brought up how he has brought up to Jason Veritek how he wants him to get more involved, more hands-on, more hands-on with the organization. Because right now Jason Veritek is in the front office as a special advisor to the team president and GM. So he knows the inner workings of this organization, obviously. He has all the makings of being a great manager because guess what? He was basically an on-field manager when he played for the Red Sox. And this would be essentially the Red Sox version of hiring David Ross. This, this would be the best move, best PR move, whatever it may be. This is what it would take for the Red Sox to kind of right the ship really quickly. Now for the Astros, I don't know if they have I don't know the Astros organization as well as the Red Sox. And I don't know, I can't think of anybody that would be a great fit for that, you know, outside of like a Bruce Boshi or a uh, Dusty Baker. So those are my thoughts on where these teams turn now. Because guess what? The season's starting, and you got to put this stuff behind you. Because you are still – I mean, the Houston Astros, according to Vegas in Caesars Playbook, they are – they have this, the third highest uh, odds, the third best odds of winning the World Series again. So manager or not, scandal or not, they still have the talent on the field to be one of the best teams in the AL. And so, so do the Red Sox. The Red Sox are right there too. Um, and I think by bringing in Jason Veritek, that that's just all it's going to bring. Jason Veritek will be able to bring that clubhouse together and move past this scandal and focus on the season. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, I, I honestly don't know um, because uh, you know coaching searches and managerial searches in baseball, I'm usually kind of lost on, only for the sense that. Um, that it occasionally, re- occasionally a name out there or a name or yeah. two that everybody's talking about. Right. It's not like basketball and football where, especially football, where there's all these up-and-coming coordinators that people know about. Like, most sports outside of football, people don't truly know the names of the assistant coaches. Let's just right. be honest. Right. It, they, they don't. So it makes it a little bit more difficult talking about potential coaching searches. Right. Well, and I mean, because in football, you not only have, like, the coordinators that you know of, but then there's always a bunch of coaches and 
in college that are rumored. You know, you had Matt Rule and you had Nick Saban and Urban Meyer and all those guys. In addition to you know the the hot coordinator that's out there, the jo- you know Josh McDaniels. The, that's the only coordinator that can come to my mind. That's, I'm not saying he's you know the next guy, but anyway, I mean, um, so I'm not sure about Houston. Uh, now, the other name that I've seen kicked around, and I, I'm in favor of just because I would love to see just kind of an old-school vibe, and that would, would be Dustin Pedroia. Um, so I didn't know what you would think I, about I, that. I, I agree. I agree with Dustin Pedroia, but technically Dustin Pedroia is still on contract. Right. Well, right. You can baseball. You can have a player manager, and that's where I. That's yeah. what I would like to see. I, I think that'd be. Okay. Co- I think that'd be cool to throw it back. That, I mean, that is true. I'm right now. I'm reading a book about the history of the NFL, and I'm. There's a lot of talk in the early days about player coaches. Yeah. So why not? Yeah, exactly. I can see that, but if if they didn't have somebody like a Jason Veritek sitting there, that is the ideal hire. Right. Yeah. Then no. I would say, yeah, go for the player manager player manager because what else is pd doing he's he's not playing right yeah right <laughs> so. exactly well and i mean i'm i'm on board with veritech veritech was actually one of my um you know a, a, one of my favorites like non-cubs well i think when... even veritech was being talked about for the cubs job yeah yeah so, he was you know, you know people are looking at jason veritech just because he i think jason veritech was one of in my honest opinion was one of the last of a dying breed if if not already dead of the everyday catcher. Right, yeah. There was only, on that, when he played in Boston, there was only one pitcher, unless he was being held out because just pure exhaustion, there was only one pitcher he did not catch for. And that was because of the style of pitching that this pitcher threw. Yeah, Wakefield. Off, yeah, Tim Wakefield. Yeah. And, that was the, and guess who caught for him? David Ross. <laughs> so, right. it, it in the end, it's a dying breed of that type of catcher, and he commanded respect on that field. He was the, the manager out there, the, the field general. And I, I would, as a fan, I would love to see Jason Veritek as the man, the next manager of the Boston Red Sox. But just even as a baseball fan, I think that there's no better fit. Somebody even brought up, like, 50 to 1 odds that it could be David Ortiz. That, no. David Ortiz does not have the managerial personality. He's a he's a, a loud personality. He's like a, the next Bobby Valentine as a manager type deal. But Veritek is serious, all business, and he can really reel in that clubhouse. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm right there with you, and I, I think that that's kind of it's almost kind of like a perfect scenario, kind of like the whole. I mean, obviously, very different situations, but kind of like how you know we felt after you know Josh McDaniels you know left the you know you decided he didn't want to be the Colts head coach anymore. Um, you know the kind of the neck the the more perfect hire was was waiting in the wings. So I think that would be you know the right move to go. So I, I'd be excited to see what happens. But yeah, definitely interested to see how everything unfolds. Let's go ahead and s- switch gears to the college football playoff. Back on Monday, we had the national championship game between the number three Clemson Tigers and number one LSU. Um, the Tigers and the Tigers, Joe Burrow. Um, Basically, in the uh, in in the Tigers' backyard, the LSU Tigers, that is. Um, but you know, we we talk. It's funny to think about how 
you know, we we talked about and considered Clemson, and we talked about it a little bit on last week's podcast about how basically we were talking about them when they dropped to third. Is like, oh yeah, I mean, I guess, and and they proved why they you know are in the national championship in the college football playoff. It seems like year in and year out, they jumped out to a seventeen to seven lead, but then here comes Joe Burrow, um, making you know one of the more dominant runs. You know, obviously, you know, broke a, a bunch of records this season. Um, he storms back, leads them to twenty one unanswered, giving him a 28-17 lead at the half, and then they really never looked back uh, from that point. So LSU gets the national title. Some fun facts, or actually just the main fun fact, is that um, the the LSU is the first team to win the national championship as the number one seed. And that kind of goes to uh, a point I'm going to make on a topic that we're going to get to here in a little bit. But um, you know, I, I think it was a good national championship game. It was it, it it was it was what I expected, but it was still very entertaining. Um, you know, Clemson played really well. We expected them to because they showed us against Ohio State that hey, they're they're still here. They're still a good team. Um, you know, and it looked like for a minute there they were going to pull the upset, but. Um, just a heck of a year by LSU. You know, I talked about how I've talked about several times on this podcast how I'm a fan of Coach O. Glad to see him get a national championship. Glad to see Joe Burrow get a national championship. Um, you know, he had an amazing season. It'll be interesting to see. Um, you know, all likelihood he's going to end up in Cincinnati. It'll end up. It'll see how. Uh, you know, it'll be interesting uh, to see don't how be he does. So sure. don't really? Be so sure. he, did, he did come out today and say. Oh yeah. Uh, that he does not. <laughs> like skyline chili he thinks it's disgusting i mean you know that's a deal breaker right there i think i think cincinnati is looking to trade all their picks which i think i mean you have family that lives in cincinnati and i, so I don't know how big of a deal skyline chili is there i have never been there like even even with uh even having been in cincinnati more often than i've probably ever been over the last few years i uh, we've never gone there so i don't know how big of a st- i don't know if it's just more lore than it is that people actually do it all the time but i definitely like even when i've gone to reds games it's not like i've been like itching to for some skyline chili so i personally have never had it so i don't know um, well, there is one in Castleton. We'll have to go. True, true. And there, there used to be one in Muncie as well, um, but not anymore. Um, but anyway, yeah, we'll have to we'll have to check it out and see if it's if Joe Burrow's uh, on the on the money or if he's uh, if he's you know not not on the money. Now, the thing that I think is interesting is obviously you see on social media all you know people post about you know it, it, I never made the correlation, but if he were to wear the same jersey that he wore in college, he would be number nine. Well, I mean, we all remember. It, it's kind of funny how it all pulls together because I was thinking on on Tuesday after the national championship, and I was like, when is the last time we saw just a team and a quarterback dominate and run through, you know, a college football season like we did with Joe Burrow and the LSU Tigers? And, you know, yeah, there was a lot of dominant – uh, Alabama teams, uh, but they were, I mean, they were more old school. I mean, we all know who the running backs, we know Eddie Lacy, we know Mark Ingram, we know Derrick Henry, we know, um, we know, yeah, Trent Richardson as well. Um, TJ Yeldon, all those, all those running backs. Um, you know, but you know, obviously we don't talk about AJ McCarron and Greg McElroy because they weren't, you know, as big of a factor obviously as Joe Burrow. And then you have, you know, 
the quarterbacks like, you know, I'm trying to think of, you know, some of the other quarterbacks that we've seen, um, you know, even Deshaun Watson. I mean, yeah, they were good, but they weren't, you know, they weren't at Joe Burrow level. And I kind of went back to, I was like, man, has it been since, you know, the, you know, Matt Leiner and the USC Trojans and Vince Young and the Texas Longhorns since we've seen, you know, a quarterback just run roughshod and, you know, and, and see a, a, domi- a, a dominance like this. And then it kind of made me think, I was like, oh, yeah, the last, <laughs> the last, uh, Cincinnati Bengal quarterback to wear number nine was a USC quarterback. And, uh, I mean, it, I, it, yeah. And I, I mean, I think it would have worked out well had it not been for the injury in the and uh, I think it was the 2005 AFC Wild Card where Carson Palmer gets his ACL torn. He's not. I don't. I don't was that his last game as a Bengal? I'm not 100 percent sure. He ends um, up. Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't. But he he wasn't the same after that. I mean, obviously he was able to to have a resurgence in Arizona. But but yeah, I, I just kind of thought that was interesting that he's he would wear number nine just like Carson Palmer did. And I honestly I think I mean Joe Burrow's the real deal. I'm really excited to see what he does um, in the NFL. Uh, him and I mean obviously we'll have to wait another year. But I'm interested to see how him and Trevor Lawrence play in the NFL. But as a whole, I mean the national. You know, speaking of Joe Burrow, you know what I want. I want a, that picture of him sitting on that leather couch in his uniform post game, smoking a cigar. I want that blown up, and I want that framed. Yeah, <laughs> I, I want that in black and white. Oh, that would be Not actually. I want it in black and white because you know that just looked like something. That looked like Scarface. <laughs> that that just screams to me that I don't know. That's just so cool. I I would love to have that picture. You have to post. Up framed and in black and white. You have to post it to the Facebook page because I honestly have have not seen it. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll post it to the Facebook page because this picture was, this is like it's still in the dirty uniform from the game too. I love it. Nice, nice. Yeah, and I mean as a whole, the college football playoff was really entertaining. I mean, LSU I think just was this buzzsaw um, going through everything and then of course, you know, both both games that Clemson were, uh, was involved in uh, were, was entertaining. So I I think this was a good year. I mean I don't think there's really been a year where I've you know maybe the all SEC. I think it was a good year because Alabama was not. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say maybe that was the last time that I really didn't enjoy the college football playoff was the year that it was Georgia and Alabama, um, which was coincidentally I think one of our first shows. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I think that uh, it was it was a good playoff. It was it was a fun national championship game, and I'm really you know we're gonna talk about the college football playoff like structure here in in a few minutes, um, and so you wouldn't think it by what I'm gonna talk about, but. I, I really enjoyed how the college football playoff played out this year. Yeah, yeah, me too. You know, it was exactly what – I mean, other than the fact that Oklahoma got in and embarrassed themselves yet again. I'm sorry, when are we going to realize that the Big 12 doesn't play defense and they have no business going up against these teams that are bigger, faster, and more physical than them? When are we gonna figure that out? I'm sorry, but they they have to put they have to put a conference in. They can't just I mean, like I said we'll get to it here in a little bit, but they they I I honestly don't think they know what to do at this point because they're like okay well we obviously don't trust the Pac-12. We obviously don't trust anybody in the Big 12 other than Oklahoma, and Oklahoma is 0 and 4 in college football playoff games. I mean, so, it would have been better putting Alabama in. Alabama at least would have given. I mean, we would have seen. LSU versus Alabama for the second time, but hey, that was an entertaining game the first time around. Why not? I don't care. But anything but, but 
Oklahoma again, please. Let's just let's just stop with that. But otherwise, it was a very entertaining. I mean, that semifinal game between Clemson and Ohio State was probably one of the best games ever. And the fact that we had we got to see LSU come from behind against a very talented Clemson team, you know, that was a, a good game. That I don't think it was as close to the game as it appeared. Because, you know, LSU just kind of took over in the second half. So I would say if I had to pick, if I had to rank the games, I would say the semifinal game of Clemson and Ohio State as number one, the national championship as number two, and then the very last one would be the other, the final semifinal game of LSU versus Oklahoma. That oh. would be the worst. Oh, yeah. they. I mean, yeah, that was the entertainment factor. It was the worst. But as, like performances go that was amazing because lsu's performance in the first half that's just totally unheard of well i mean how bad of defense the big 12 plays that was the only intriguing part of that game was the fact that you know you were trying to see you know could joe burrow i I, you know a buddy of mine was texting back and forth with me and i was like i mean obviously they pulled him um you know relatively early but i was like could he possibly get 10 touchdowns because that was the pace he was on so i um you know, I that was like video game numbers. That was video game numbers. Yeah, that was like you know you're playing against the computer on you know rookie difficulty. Rookie or freshman, yeah, right. freshman difficulty, and you're calling hail mary and just chucking it up, and obviously you know it was it was working. So no, I'm right there with you. Um, and now B Scott, we didn't get a chance. You know, obviously it was during your hiatus there at the end of the year, but. Um, you didn't get a chance to talk much about the other bowl games, so here's your opportunity. Um, I want to take a quick look back at bowl season real quick. Um, you know, look at our best bowl and worst bowl. Um, and the best bowl for me uh, this this college football season was actually uh, one that um, that Chris Simmons, when he was filling in, uh, he had his, you know, something he was excited for, and it ended up being a great game and, and one of my favorites, and that was the Rose Bowl from this year. The Rose Bowl was really entertaining. I mean, it usually is, but, um, you know, this year it was, you know, really intriguing because you had, you know, obviously two teams that, you know, one won their conference, one gave their their conference champion a run for their money um, in Oregon and Wisconsin, and, it, you know, it was number six versus number eight. Um, you know, and you had Oregon winning 28-27. It was back and forth, really most of the game, and really entertaining. So I really enjoyed um, watching that football game. So that's why it gets best bowl for me. Worst bowl, the Independence Bowl, Louisiana Tech and Miami. Louisiana Tech wins 14 to nothing. One thing that you're hoping for a lot of times in college football is high-scoring games. Um, and this was not one of them. And when it happens the day after Christmas, when you're just kind of like, meh, eh, whatever. I mean, it couldn't have come at a worse time. So that's why it gets worse bowl for me, just because the one thing you can usually count on in, co in college football is maybe not always a you know outrageous score, but you usually count on 28-21, 31-21, 31-17, anything like that. But this game was just a dud of a game, a couple of touchdowns, and that's all she wrote. Can you believe Miami was a preseason top ten team? Yeah, that's nuts, dude. I mean, I, I, I it's kind of one of those things. Forever ago, once they game between them and Florida. Yeah, they got. And I mean, I think we remember that night for different reasons, but, um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, they, it, they were, there was talk on that initial college game day, um, at the beginning of the year, is like, is Miami like, is is Miami back as a program? 
The answer to that question is no. <laughs> Be- no. A far, far from from kind of dropped off a little bit. I kind of you know hadn't been paying attention to them, and it was only when I saw who they were paired up against in the bowl game where I was like, Louisiana Tech, Tech has a better record than them. I think Miami ended up like seven and six on the season. Like I, Miami just. I don't, they've never been able to get it right, really, you know, since, you know, since. Well, they're trying to live in the 80s. Right, they're, that's they're, true. They're still, they're still trying to be the you. You know, let, let's find out who you really are now, and let's go from there. Don't be who you were back in the 80s and everything, because the game has changed a lot since then. I know, just really focus on getting in your back, own backyard. That's There's a lot of talent there. But you just got to have stability. They just have zero stability there, it seems like. And I don't know. It, 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 it's sad to see that because they were uh, one of the best programs out there. But it, it is interesting. It does show you just how much college football ebbs and flows. When you think a team is set up like, oh, my gosh, they're going to be good forever. I thought that about USC, and then they dropped off. I've thought about about Alabama, and now they're dro- starting to kind of drop off. Kind of. We'll see. But – you know, there, there's these ebbs and flows, and it, and obviously that happened with Miami. Now, obviously, keep in mind that two of the teams, including Miami that we mentioned, had some sanctions against them as well because of some violations, you know, recruiting-wise, too. So that's one of the reasons why USC and Miami have fallen off. But, yeah, I, I used to it's, – it's funny you bring up USC, too, because USC was a situation where they had Carson Palmer – they then he graduates and I was like okay well good now USC won't be good anymore then they have Matt, they have Matt Liner I'm like okay they can't possibly be good you know after those two they they you know got lightning in a bottle there's no way they'd get a third great quarterback in a row they didn't but they still had John David Booty who was who had a good couple seasons then I was like okay now they're done then they get Mark Sanchez who was good and I was like when will it stop and then apparently it happened after they you know had some recruiting violations and had to be banned from the postseason for a couple years so um can you believe that Ed Orgeron was actually the coach at USC for a hot minute well that's what that's what I that's one of the reasons why like I kind to be that's the f- first little bit of my fandom of him was when he was the interim coach at USC. I was like, I, I'm, surpri- I, I'm not surprised he didn't last there because well, he does not. Well, right, and that's why California Bulls. That's why I was so excited. That's why I just thought it was so hilarious, and why I become came a little bit of a fan of him was because I was like. It's just funny to me that this guy from the South with a deep Southern accent is coaching USC, and, and when USC is all about you know the glitz and the glamour and the sexy hire and all that stuff, it's Ed Orgeron that's leading this team. That was that's, guys, that's, guys, Ed Orgeron reminds me so much of the assistant coach from The Waterboy. Oh yeah, oh yeah, I, I'm the, I'm right there. The with way you. they talk and everything. Oh my gosh, spot on right there. Yeah, I'm with you. What was your best and worst bowl, B. Scott, when you're looking back? For me, my best one was actually the Gator Bowl. I know a lot of you guys are going to say because, you know, IU lost. Well, yes, partially. But really, if you look at it, Tennessee has been kind of a lame duck of a team this year. And the fact that they battled back from behind and there was so many just kind of ups and downs and, like, head scratchers in the final moments of the game, it actually kind of made that game fun to watch. Like, are you serious? You're – what – wait – what? And there was this, all those moments in the game where you, you couldn't figure out what the coaching decisions were and why they were made. So that made that game fun. The worst one for me, I do have to agree with you, is the Independence Bowl. Um, basically because when you look at that on paper, you should go, oh, this should, 
Miami should win this one walking away. But obviously that didn't happen. And, you know, but for me, it, it, I enjoyed it a little bit more looking back on it now just because the defensive coordinator for Louisiana Tech is now the new defensive coordinator for Purdue, Bob Diaco. So kind of seeing what he was all about going back and look, looking at that game, it was good. But, yeah, I think that was probably the worst bowl just because it was just – it was such a defensive battle and it was just ah, – painful to watch so those are my, my my best and my worst now to kind of wrap up um you know we're gonna kind of look to the future um for college football and one thing i think this is going to be a discussion especially after this year um and i think this is going to be probably a topic of conversation before and after every college football playoff until it eventually happens or the door is shut on that possibility of it happening. Uh, but that is a, a possible of po possibility of playoff expansion. Um, I've actually been chomping at the bit, uh, you know, to talk about this since we, you know, you know, since before we went on our, on our little, like, winter vacation. Um, but I've been ready because like, I've heard, you know, I've heard other podcasts that I listen to of guys who have been like, oh yeah, you know, there's, you know, the ta the level of talent that would be in a in an 18 playoff is just subpar. You would never see, you know, you know the you know the drop off in talent would be terrible. You you wouldn't, you know, the teams you would have to let in. I mean, are we really letting these teams in? Which, as always, to me, He's still in Oklahoma. Right, exactly. Well, the thing is, too, is 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 I saw on Twitter too. Um, someone tweeted out, at, you know, oh well, no one, you know, of course we don't need a eight team playoff because we can't even get, you know, the, a top four right, which. Partially, I can agree with because I also tweeted out during the Oklahoma game where I was like, you know, with as much crap as we give Notre Dame for not showing up in big games, when's the last big game that Oklahoma's won? Because I can't think of. I mean, yes, they've won the Big 12 championship. I understand that. But going back to even, you know, the Sam Bradford days, I mean, you go, you know, even and even before that, I mean, you know, going back to, we've talked a lot about USC on this podcast, but going back, I mean, you know the first USC championship against them. It was a blowout against Oklahoma. Um, they, you know, it was. I think the last time they they did anything, I think it was Oklahoma took Miami to the woodshed when in the BCS national championship game in the Rose Bowl. I I don't recall what game that was, but oh my gosh, it was I mean, like. I want to say it was like 2001 or something. No, was that was – 2001 was Miami kicking the crap out of Nebraska in the that's Rose Bowl. It. That's what I was Yeah, and, and so I, you know, I'm trying to go back, and I'm like, well, Sam Bradford took – you know, he took – well, I mean, heck, even even Boise State, remember? Boise State beat Oklahoma, too, in the Fiesta Bowl. So, yeah. and I'm and – Tim then, Tebow and the Gators. Tim beat. Tebow and the Gators. That was, you know, another one I was going to bring up. I was like, when is the last time Oklahoma has – you know, won a big game. I'd, I'll have to, you know, uh, you know, um, you know, I'll have to go look that up real quick because it's West Virginia beat them when West Virginia was just in the lowly Big East. Right, right. I mean, that was also the year, you know, the beginning of kind of the the Pat White, Steve Slayton. You know, all, I mean, uh, it was uh, Pat McAfee was on that team. There was a lot of good. There was a lot of good college football players on that team. So I'm not right. gonna. I mean, granted, but you still, know, it, it was still a big game. I think the last time Oklahoma, and I'll have to verify this the last time Oklahoma won a you know a New Year's six 
slash old BCS Bowl was when they beat UConn. Uh, when UConn won the Big East and was like number 24 and got into a, a BCS Didn't even Bowl. Utah beat Oklahoma at one point? Yeah, or what, uh, they, Utah, Utah, beat, beat uh, Utah beat Alabama, correct. Um, but, um, you know, so, so yes, Oklahoma has been bad in the college football playoff, but I also, you know, think that I, I think it's a little unfair to ding them for the, for that game because of the fact that LSU has been such a buzzsaw all season. I mean, uh, LSU ended the year with 15 wins, half of which against top 10 teams. So right. I wouldn't say, <laughs> I wouldn't say that that's completely to do with Oklahoma. But, you know, I, I looked at it. The records all-time by conference in the college football playoff. The SEC is 8-4. and four. They lead all teams. Uh, as far as you know, amount of game, amount of appearances, as well as uh, wins. But Alabama is responsible for six of those eight wins, um, as well as three of those four losses. The ACC is six and three. Clemson is six and two. The only team to make it that wasn't Clemson was Florida State in the inaugural season with Jameis Winston. They lost to Oregon. The Big Ten is two and three. Ohio State is two and two. Ohio State has not won a college football playoff game since that initial run with Cardell Jones and, Z- and Ezekiel Elliott. The Pac-12 is 1-2. Oregon was 1-1 one one in the first playoff. The only team to make it since then was Washington, who got beat by Alabama. Or uh, And the Big 12 is 0-4. O- o All four appearances have been by Oklahoma, and Oklahoma obviously has lost all four. So, they almost beat Georgia, though. Couple years ago. True, but we talk about. I mean, we talked about it at the beginning of the year that the college football playoff likes basically one team from each conference and does not like the Pac-12. And so the reason, one reason why I think you need to consider playoff expansion is the fact that you know we're seeing a regurgitation now. Now, thank goodness. It was two. I mean, it was Clemson. Who, yes, Clemson's been in it the last few years, but it, against LSU, it was. It was. There were some new teams. It was the three seed. It, the the championship we got was unexpected. So I will grant it that. Um, but we, you know, LSU makes it in. Uh, you know, obviously, obviously the best team all season. Um, but. That's really the first difference we've really seen other than occasionally you'll see the Pac-12. Occasionally you'll see Notre Dame get in. But it's really just the same four teams every season. And not to say that they haven't been deserving, but you know, at some point, who are you going to trust? Because we've also seen some of these teams get in when they didn't win their conference over teams that did win their conference. Um, you know, I mean, obviously the year that Alabama got in, they didn't win their conference, but they had Tua. We didn't know how good Tua was. Tua is amazing. Um, their conference champ also got in. Right, 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 right. Yeah, that was the Georgia-Alabama season. But basically what I'm saying is the college football playoff committee is towing this delicate line that I'm just wanting to see what's going to happen at one point because – Alabama didn't make it this season. 
I mean, they're they're primed to have a good season next year, I think, until I see them have a bad year. It's kind of like the Patriots. Until I see them fall off, I'm not going to believe they've fallen off. But let's say Alabama doesn't make it, you know, doesn't, you know, loses two games again next season. Let's say Clemson gets upset, which I don't see that happening. But let's say they get upset next season. If you don't want the Pac-12 to get in, and you don't want the and the ACC is not making it in unless it's Clemson. Let's say Clemson loses two games. Let's say. You know, not, I'm not trying. Well, if Clemson loses two games, that means somebody in the ACC is doing something right, and uh, they're well, probably going to get in. Let's be honest. Well, I don't I know. Mean, it, it's all of a sudden a North Carolina has. Well, Clemson, Clemson also keep in mind, and now granted, I know what you're, what the answer is. Let's say Notre Dame has a bad season, but one of the, but one of the teams they do beat is Clemson, and then Clemson loses the ACC championship game. So you have Clemson with two losses, and I don't want to get caught up too much on this hypothetical, but, um, but I mean. I'm just saying that they've pigeonholed themselves into the same four teams, and it's starting to get a little stale. It's and we're starting to see obviously that you know maybe the Big 12 champion doesn't deserve to get in, but we don't trust the Big 12 and we don't tr- trust the Pac 12. What if Notre Dame isn't very good? So what are we gonna do if we have four spots to fill and th- three? Okay, well what if Alabama's not good? I'm just saying we've seen the same teams over and over, and we're getting to a point where. I, if but those... at the same time, you know, I, I, I'll tell you this. I'm all for expansion, but at the same time, expansion's not going to get us two different teams in the national championship. Now, see, mean, if, you, if, if you had a, an eight-team playoff this year, I, you're still going to see LSU and Clemson or LSU and Ohio State. This year? Those three best teams now, from start to finish, I'm hands down. G- I'm glad you brought that up. I'm sorry I started to interrupt you there, B. Scott. But I'm glad you bring that up because maybe not – obviously not this year. LSU is the team of destiny. We all know that. Not surprised by Clemson and LSU. Not surprised by Ohio State LSU. Um, but diving into the numbers further, and maybe I should have led with these facts here. The number four seed has made the championship twice. Both times they have won. The number three seed has made the championship twice. The number only the only time it has been number one versus number two has been when it's been Clemson, Alabama, and every single time number two has won. So it's not as if every year it's the it's one versus two with the one seed winning. It's been different teams. It's been three versus four. It's been, you know, two versus four. It's been things like that happening. If the eight-team playoff had occurred in other seasons, because I've heard other talking heads bring that up, you know, as a negative thing, first season right off the bat, let's let's address it. 2014, we would have seen either Baylor, either one or both of Baylor and TCU, which yes, they tried to be cheeky and and be co-champs, and so they would both get in. Regardless, they are both 11 and one teams. So you have those two good teams, and then you have Dak Prescott and uh, and Mississippi State. Those would be the next teams in line. Now, granted, you would have to seed it a little bit differently, and who knows? You know, the number one seed that year I think was Oregon, um, and no, maybe it was Alabama. It was that was Alabama. The number one seed that year was Alabama. So I mean, Alabama, Mississippi State. I don't remember if that game was good that year, but I think it was closer than people thought. So who knows what would have happened in that game? Uh, 2015. Heck, you know, you would have let Ohio State in that year because that was the year they let Michigan State in. You would have had Stanford, who was decent. Um, and then 2016, Penn State gets in as you know the Big Ten champion. 2017. 
19, you have USC get in with Sam Darnold. Again, another year where Ohio State would have made it. Um, Ohio State would have made it in 2018 as well. <laughs> if so, some of the t so I mean, hey, that's that's the pitch you send uh, to the NCAA is the fact that you would have had a few more years of Ohio State, and then this year, you know, we saw how good Georgia and Baylor were. They, you know, and especially when they played each other, how good that game was. They get in. Uh, both of those teams get in as well as Oregon. You can't tell me Oregon would have been like worse than what Oklahoma was and against against the team you know like LSU. So well, all, everybody, all, was gonna be, everybody was going to be bad against right, LSU. Exactly. Anybody outside of Ohio State or Clemson. So what I'm saying is that I, the argument against eight teams is always well, you know, the other the other, you know, 5 through 8 is doggy do and when you know if 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 it were you know we pump up the teams at the top when they get wins over the rest of the top 10 but then when it comes to vouching for the rest of the top for a, you know another chunk of the top 10 to get in we say how bad they actually are and we'll wait so you can't have it really both ways you can't say that you know we don't, you know, Wisconsin's trash and doesn't deserve to be in the college football playoff as the number eight team, which I know I didn't mention them, but if, if you did just literally one through eight, that's who was eighth in the college football playoff. Um, but then be like, well, they did, you know, Ohio State showed a lot of resurgence. They did beat Wisconsin, you know, twice. Well, wait, so they, they either beat Wisconsin twice and that's a good thing, or Wisconsin's trash and doesn't deserve to be eight. So, which is it? So I'm just saying that other, there are other teams that deserve to get in, and and by the stats, you know, with all the things about you know number four, you know, four seeds making it far and that kind of thing, we've seen that it's not always the top teams that would make it through. It's not every year one versus two. So I think you would be widening the playing field for other teams that are just as good and could make that magical run. Yeah, I think you know I was just playing devil's advocate there. I totally agree. I think there needs to be an expansion, and I know that the um, the people in charge of the committee have talked about expansion as well. That's something that's on their radar. Um, and actually, uh, having an expansion would make their jobs easier. To be honest, um, finding the the top eight teams is a whole lot easier than the top four because that way you are able to make sure that all the conference champs are in unless they're not deserving of it obviously because it don't let it be like the basketball tournament where let's say there wasn't an upset like now this i mean just for instance um i don't know let's say clemson would have lost in the uh i forget who they played in the uh, they played virginia in the acc championship game was virginia really a top one of the top eight teams in the country no they weren't. They were a top 25 team, yes, but they were not a top eight. So that that's kind of where you have to make some judgment. You don't, I don't, if they're going to expand, don't say we're going to make an automatic bid for the Power Five conferences, the winner of the championship, because you're just asking for somebody then to be left out. Now, and, see. That's where that's where we disagree because I think the Power Five should get an automatic bid because conference championship. You want to talk about something that's doggy do? It's usually conference championship weekend because we already know who's getting in. The games don't really matter if well, yeah, if Georgia. I agree. If I agree, but at the same time, do you really think? Virginia, had they beaten Clemson, they were worthy of a top eight seed. Well, guess what? Top eight team. Then Virginia. Like, I mean, it's kind of like 
a couple of years ago when Purdue beat Ohio State. Was Purdue the best team in the Big Ten? Hell no, they were not the best team in the Big Ten. I mean, but what it, I... it, it, it's, it's, it's ridiculous to think. I, I mean, it, it, unless you are having like a field of like 24 or something like that, you know, something beyond eight, I don't think guaranteeing a, t- a, a conference champ a, a, a spot is, is the best thing to do. Because well, guess what? Majority of the time, your conference, your Power Five conference champs are already going to be in the top eight. Right. Now, yeah, I was going to make that point is that, yeah, I mean, it's an inevitability that you're going to have most more often than not but the conference moving, champions. Like, I don't even think Virginia was ranked when they played in the ACC championship Yeah, game. they so were. They, I mean, okay. they will always arbitrarily rank a team just to make it a ranked versus ranked matchup for, I mean, I don't think they, I don't know how many weeks they were ranked prior to that, but I right. do know. So, I mean, technically, you would have essentially then been taking an unranked Virginia team at all purpose matters. You, They were unranked, we'll say. But you're not going to take an unranked team and throw them in the top eight just because they won their conference. They had one good game. I mean, that's setting them up for failure. A better move for them then would be to go play in a – all right, let's reward them by putting them in a, new, like, in a higher end bowl or something. Well, I mean, that's what but essentially then, happened because they got into the orange bowl. Yeah, true, and it didn't work out well for them. They still they so, played Florida super tough though. It's not like they yeah. went in and got their you know bell rung by Florida. They went in. Right. And, I mean, yes, the final score makes it look a little worse than it was, but they did play well. So I'm just saying, I don't feel like that's that's kind of where I'm. That's my reasoning on there should not be an automatic bid because. Nine times out of ten, your Power Five conference champ is already in the top eight, regardless. Right, and and I'm I'm kind of with you there, but I also think that you know it's one of those things where okay, so if we're if so the whole reason going back to it, it the whole reason why we kept the BCS as long as we kept it was because of of the sanctity of the regular season and the conversation that it started. You know, everybody would talk about who was where in the BCS. Same with the college football playoff now. And so, you know, if you really want the conversation, well, now it's tough on the c- committee because yes, I understand that let's say, you know, that you know, the three at-large bids would have gone to uh Georgia and and Baylor and and uh, Wisconsin, let's say, um, or you know, it would have been you know the la- the last three teams in would have been Oregon, Georgia, and Baylor, whatever you want to say uh, as far as who gets in. Um, now you know, let's say Virginia ends up upsetting Clemson. Well, then now you have to decide, okay, who do you drop from Georgia, Baylor, Wisconsin? You know, because now Clemson bumps Wisconsin out of the out of the fold. But do you dump Baylor? Do you dump who you know who didn't who kind of fell apart in the last portion of the Big Twelve championship game, or do you take Wisconsin, who who was playing Ohio State tough? You you have just as much conversation and and at the end of the day i mean and granted most in most years you're going to have this i was going to say you know vouch for the eighth seed a little bit but at the end of the day most seasons anyway whoever's in that one versus eight because remember it's going to be seated differently um whoever's in that one versus eight is going to get shellacked so oh, yeah. you're not going to well, i mean and, and i mean what, Nine times out of ten, yes. And also remember that I mean they don't necessarily have to, you know just because every 
conference champion gets in does not mean that it's provisionally one through five. It can be one versus eight. You see that in the NCAA tournament in basketball where, you know, obviously the Mid-American Conference champion is not, you know, a higher seed. They're 16th and get beat by Kentucky in the first round. So you don't have to make it, you know, harder than it has to be. You can be like, okay, all right, cool, Virginia, you won. That's kind of your benchmark of the season. Now go play LSU and get beat by 50. Like, And I'm not saying that I want that to happen as far as, like, I, I, I would rather there be a good game there. I'm, I'm not saying that. But, I mean, would we have been any worse off if Virginia would have played <laughs> LSU? Would we been, have been any worse off if Oklahoma had played LSU – or, excuse me, Oregon had played LSU? That We wouldn't have got a different result. So, I don't know. I just – I think you need to have – you know, the conference championships mean something, and then you need to, to acknowledge that most time, more often than not, there are very talented teams, one through ten, which still means that two people don't get in. Right. I mean, you're always you're always going to have talk about needing to expand it more and more and more and more. Guess what? If we expand it to eight, it's not going beyond eight. I guarantee it oh, will yeah, not go sure. beyond eight. <laughs> that, As... That's asking a lot Unless they they shorten the regular season and they adopt the uh, FCS style, which I would not mind that one bit. As much as I would love to see sixteen or thirty-two teams, yeah, I'm absolutely with you. They have you know eight eight is enough, and I think eight would be would be a good number. Um, now speaking of numbers, let's look at it real quick. Our final thing here on college football on our way too early top five um, for next season. For me, uh, we'll go five to one for me. Number five, I have Georgia. Um, I wanted to put Florida here real bad, and I'm sure that'll you know bite me in the rear next season. Um, but Georgia does return a lot on defense, which is obviously C- Coach Kirby Smart's strong suit. Um, and they also are getting a transfer quarterback from Wake Forest, which, yes, you may think, oh, Wake Forest. But Wake Forest actually had a good season. They had a good season this past year. And, hey, the last time I doubted a transfer, it was Justin Fields, and look what he did. I'm not saying the Wake Forest kid is the same, but I'm just saying that's why I'm going with Georgia. Number four for me is LSU. I, I, I think LSU is obviously going to be in the running for a another college football uh, playoff spot, but it is not lost on me how significant Joe Burrow was. So we'll see what's waiting in the wings. LSU – Typically has not had a standout quarterback like Burrow, so I'm going to kind of wait and see. A, a school that usually does have at least a good, you know, passable, you know, typically, you know, better quarterback is Alabama, who I have at three. Ohio State and uh, Ohio State returns Justin Fields um, and has a really good recruiting class, so that's why they're two. And then Clemson returns probably the most with Trevor Lawrence, who. Um, you know, is is going to be a top prospect quarterback wise. So that's who I have at number one. Okay, so for me at number five, I actually have Penn State. Mm-hmm. Uh, Penn State could very well be the class of the Big Ten next year. This is a very overlooked team, in my opinion, when it comes down to um, just they're just overlooked <laughs> in general. It doesn't come down to anything. They're an overlooked team. Then at number four, I have Alabama at number four, mostly because there is question marks for Alabama at quarterback. It's not really certain who their quarterback is going to be, and they do lose 
quite a bit. I mean, they lose. They're they're losing Henry Ruggs. They're. I mean, there's just a lot of weapons that are going out the door. Um, at number three, I have LSU. Mostly because I don't know. I just feel like that defense is going to be good. Um, I mean, built around Derek Stingley Jr. I mean, goodness gracious, a freshman, and he was a shutdown corner. I mean, unbelievable. So, I, I and I just like what Ed Orgeron's got going on there. I can see LSU becoming one of those teams that is the the bigger, the big thorn in the side of Alabama is the reason Alabama gets kept out of future playoffs. Number two, I have Ohio State as well. Uh, yeah, they lost. They're losing quite a bit. I mean, obviously, losing J.K. Dobbins is is a big deal. Um, but you still have coming back your true freshman wide receiver, Garrett Wilson. You still have Chris Olave coming back. Um, you have Master Teague at running back coming back. I mean, obviously, you're, you're losing Chase Young, but they got great news in the fact that Sean Wade, um, the guy that got called for the mystery targeting in the, in the semifinal game, uh, Sean Wade has decided that he's going to come back, and that's huge, huge for the Ohio State secondary. So, and obviously, I mean, they just continue to recruit as have one of the top recruiting classes year in and year out. Um, and then uh, number one is Clemson. Yeah, they, they are losing quite a bit uh, weapons-wise. They are losing uh, T. Higgins. He did declare for the draft yesterday. Obviously, they're losing Travis Etienne, who is the reigning two-time ACC player of the year, a running back that averaged uh, eight over eight yards per carry. So that, that's, that is a lot to overcome, but they still have wide receivers, Justin Ross coming back. They, they just, they still have quite a bit of talent. Um, so I, I'm going with Clemson at number one, uh, but don't be surprised if you see Penn state even higher. Like I said, I think they're one of those teams that's kind of overlooked. Um, so that, that's kind of my, that's my top five. Before we move on to the NFL, or just a reminder that you can hear every podcast at anchor.fm and wherever podcasts can be heard. Also, make sure you follow us, Crash Course Podcast, on Facebook and at Crash Course FM on Twitter. Um, now looking at the NFL playoffs here, um, coming off the divisional round, um, we'll kind of move quickly here since we're going into championship weekend. Divisional round started off with uh, San Francisco hosting Minnesota. San Francisco wins 27-10. The 49ers, surprisingly enough, they were pretty even passing-wise, but the Niners outrushed the Vikings 186-21. to The 49ers just had a very dominant game. They move on and will host the NFC Championship game. The more One of the more surprising outcomes, or the most surprising outcome from Divisional Weekend happened in the nightcap on Saturday. Tennessee 28, Baltimore 12. Derrick Henry had another fantastic game, 30 carries, 195 yards. He has been the lifeblood of that Titans offense. Lamar Jackson didn't have a bad game. He went 31 for 59, 365 as far as passing yards go with a touchdown and then two interceptions. He also had 143 rushing yards. The Titans led 14-6 at the half, led 28-6 after the third. They were dominating. They did force three turnovers, um, and then the uh, the Ravens got a touchdown in garbage time trying to come back and were unable to do so. We thought we were in store for an all-AFC South AFC Championship game with how Houston and Kansas City char- started. Uh, Houston, uh, Houston led 24 to nothing with 10:54 to play in the second quarter, but then Pat Mahomes 
and Travis Kelsey happened for uh, Kansas City. Um, as Kansas City comes back to win, they score uh, 51. They outscore Houston 51 to seven from that point, winning 51 to 31. Pat Mahomes 23 for 35, 321 yards and five touchdowns. Travis Kelsey caught 10 passes for 134 yards and three touchdowns. Deshaun Watson had a good game as well, 31 for 52, 388 yards, two touchdowns and a rushing touchdown. DeAndre Hopkins had nine catches for 118 yards. And then finally, the final game of the divisional round, uh, Green Bay beats Seattle 28-23. to Aaron Rodgers was 16 for 27, 243 yards and two touchdowns. Aaron Jones also had a pair of touchdowns with uh, 21 carries and 62 yards. Devontae Adams caught eight passes for 160 yards and two touchdowns. Russell Wilson, 21 for 31. 277 yards and a touchdown, Marshawn Lynch. In his return, kind of a weird story, uh, 2019 Marshawn, Marshawn Lynch is. We'll see. I don't know if he's going to stay retired. I don't know if he's going to. He's retired, man. Take care of your chicken. Yeah, I, I did, I did see that press conference. You know, take honestly. Take care of your mentals, Take care of your body. Take mm-hmm. care of your bread. Yeah, you know, with I, I don't know. I, I haven't really seen the. What res- does chicken mean? I don't know, but I I, I I watched Get Up to try to find out if they do. Look, they would say anything about it. They talked about it, but they all knew what he was talking about. I'm like, what does it mean? I'm, I, I'll admit, I am not hip. I'm 32 years old. I'm a dad <laughs> of two. I have the definition of not hip anymore. So, what does it mean to take care of your chicken? I I honestly don't know either. Um, I know it means to take care of your take care of your bread. Right. I know what that means. Right. Take care of your money. But what in the world is take care of your chicken? It just makes me really hungry for chicken. That's all it really does for me. Um, My mind goes right back to the Boston Red Sox of having fried chicken. <laughs> yeah, and maybe maybe that's what it is. I don't know. But I will say this. Two things about that Marshawn Lynch press conference. For one, you know what? Say what you will about the actual content of the press conference. Hey, he's, I loved it, by he, the way. I loved I, yeah, it. me too. He's talking to the media, guys. It's 2020. He it's never a new, does that. It's a it's a new decade. Marshawn Lynch has decided. It kind of remind me if you're if, if there's any Brooklyn Nine Nine fans out there of the episode where that he guest stars in, where you know he, you know he's notorious. You know, they talk about it, he's notorious for not talking to anybody, and all he just doesn't shut up the entire episode. And that's what that re- press conference reminded me of. And then hey, I mean as as crazy as that interview was he i mean the message of it was sincere and was good like hey you know what i've i'm retired and it's great and i you know i you you know make sure you guys because this won't last forever just like my career didn't last forever like you're gonna you know you need to take care of your money you need to take care of your you know mental stability obviously was not that well you know you know dictated but um i i did like the overall message of his press conference and i was just flabbergasted that he's talking to the media now for as long as he talked to the media (laughs) yeah yeah that is probably collectively the most sound bites you got from marshawn lynch than any of the times in his first stint with seattle or his uh stint with uh the oakland raiders um but moving on now to oh uh, Ty, uh by the way Tyler Lockett nine catches 136 yards and a touchdown the Packers led 21 to three so it was a weekend of teams getting out to big leads and then seeing if they could hold them um, they were outscored 20 to seven in the second half and ended up getting the win so um, sets up sets up uh, conference championship games of the Packers and the Niners and the Titans and the Chiefs we'll get the picks in a minute but first we have 
hot or cold. So the first question uh, goes to the 49ers. Best team, are they the best team remaining in the playoffs? For me, that's cold. Now, the reason being is, you know, once you see the best team record-wise from the regular season go down, for me, I have to look at the team um, that, you know, has played better recently. And for me, the, the Chiefs, the Chiefs are the team that I say is still is, is the best team remaining in the playoffs, and it's not by a landslide, but just from what I've saw in divi- in the divisional round. Obviously, San Francisco beat the you know you know took Minnesota behind the woodshed and beat them down, but at the same time, you know the Chiefs didn't just come back from being down twenty four to nothing and come back and win twenty eight to twenty four. They absolutely went on a run in the final you know fifth you know in the final you know, uh, 40 minutes of that football game, they scored 51 points. So um, that to me just kind of blew me away, especially because that's not what we're, t- I mean, we are, we we're used to seeing the Chiefs score that many points, but we're not used to seeing them do it in that fashion. Usually when we've seen the Chiefs kind of, you know, get into a little bit of a rut, that's when they kind of implode and, and don't do as well. So that really impressed me. So I'm going with the Chiefs as my best team remaining in the NFL playoffs. So for me, that, that take is hot. That's hot. Uh, the 49ers still are the best team remaining. I mean, they've been the most consistent all season up till now and everything. I still have question marks about the Chiefs' abilities to stop the run, and that's going to really come into play here in the championship weekend because of Derrick Henry. Um, obviously, the games that the uh, Chiefs lost during the regular season is – they lost to teams that dominated the line of scrimmage and held on to the ball and kept Pat Mahomes off the field. And the Titans aren't going to be capable of doing that. So there's just some question marks I have with the Kansas City Chiefs, whereas when I look at the 49ers, it's just like, man, who that, I mean, I don't, I have trouble really finding any kind of big weaknesses or any flaws or any question marks. So I'm going uh, take his hot. And don't forget, one of the losses for the Chiefs and one of the and a, a chief reason, haha, uh, that the Titans are in this in the the in the playoffs is that they did beat the Chiefs earlier on in the season. So we'll see if that kind of carries over into this game. Uh, as far as the Minnesota Vikings, who did lose to the Niners, are they closer to a Super Bowl than not? Because it's kind of a weird spot for the Vikings. On one hand, they've you know been uh, they've made some decent runs in the playoffs over the last you know three or four years, but they've got one year left on the contract of Kirk Cousins, and I would imagine if Cousins you know if they don't end up re-signing Cousins, maybe they move on, maybe they, they decide to tear everything down and kind of rebuild this team. Are they closer to a Super Bowl than not? For me, um, I think that they are. That take is cold. I think that this team is is far from being a championship contender. Um, just from what I've seen, I mean, obviously a couple years ago it was Case Keenum, not uh, Kirk Cousins, but I, I've just not been impressed. I mean, yes, they've had some impressive wins, including obviously uh, last week against or two weeks ago against the the Saints, but overall they just haven't been you know they've gotten some they've, they've had some big wins but they haven't been able to get it done when it matters um you know except for maybe a couple of different times but uh, i just i just i don't have really much faith in this vikings team uh to come together and i think this team was originally built especially with getting Kirk cousins to obviously make deep runs in the playoffs 
But yeah, I agree. This this is a cold take as well. The Vikings aren't close to making a, a, a Super Bowl run uh, anytime soon. They, I mean, there's even talk that they're ready to move on from Kirk Cousins. If you don't know who your quarterback is, you're not anywhere close to making a Super Bowl run. Now, moving on to the Titans and Ravens. First for the victorious Tennessee Titans. Uh, question that I, I know your answer, B. Scott, because um, you, you messaged it to me uh, over the weekend. Uh, can the Titans win the Super Bowl? For me, that's a hot take um, because, I, I mean, it, 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 for no better reason than at this point, I mean, we're deep enough in the playoffs where, you know, previous notions can kind of be thrown out the window. Um, you know, this is it, whatever the Titans are doing, which is basically, you know, ground and pound and then, you know, Tannehill doing enough to just get by. Um, I mean, they've been doing what they, what, you know, everything right. I mean, they've been forcing turnovers on defense. Have they been, you know, have they been an immovable object on defense? No, but we've, we've seen in past years that you don't need a Ravens level defense or Seahawks level defense to, uh, to win Super Bowls anymore. You can just kind of get by on defense and then, you know, be good offensively. And Derrick Henry, I mean, until I see him be stopped, I'm just going to assume that he's not going to be stopped. He's been a force um to be reckoned with especially you know this season alone so um i i think that they are you know have a real shot to not only make the super bowl but possibly win it yeah i agree it's a hot take for me um my question is how come all of a sudden derrick henry is like the biggest person in the entire nfl i that that's a good question i i it, He's it's, been in the NFL for a while now, but all of a sudden we're seeing pictures of him standing amongst other NFL players, and he's like seven foot tall, 275 pounds, and built like a brick house. Now, there was a prelude to this in the national championship game when Derrick Henry played uh, uh, against, I think it was the game where they lost to Clemson uh, in Tampa, yeah, where they showed Mark Ingram flipping the coin and Derrick Henry standing next to Mark Ingram, which these are two Alabama Heisman Trophy no, winning no, no. quarterbacks. He did, he did Okay. Well, then it must have been. The, it must have been the year prior. When they when Alabama won in Tempe. Okay, so it was the year prior. So, um, or maybe it was two years prior. Whatever it was. Anyway, so, um, but yeah, there was that picture of him standing next to Mark Ingram. These are two Alabama Heisman Trophy winning quarterbacks, and Henry is like a, a head or two taller than Ingram, which is crazy to well, think about. And then there is the uh, the one that right now that shows uh, Derrick Henry. RG3 and Mark Ingram <laughs> after the game and it says it's RG3 looks like a single mom introducing his son Mark Ingram to his uh his real dad Derek Henry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's bad. It's real bad, but Now, um, I do want to yeah. uh, I, I do want to say B Scott um, we talked about, remember all those months ago when the Titans made the trade for Ryan Tannehill and we had a discussion about, you know, Mar the, the future know. of Tannehill and Mark. No, no, no. I'm saying you're, you were right because remember I was saying Tannehill's being brought in. There's no way they're going to, they're going to bench Mariota for Tannehill because uh, what's the point of that? Mariota's the franchise guy. They're not going to bring in this other guy. I mean, I, you know, I was surprised that they kept Mariota to begin with in that trade. I was, I, it was just kind of a confusing trade at the time. But, hey, it's worked out. You were right. They brought in Tannehill to apparently start and potentially bring him to the Super Bowl. <laughs> um, I mean, who would have thought? I know. Who would have thought Ryan Tannehill could lead the 
Tennessee Titans to the Super Bowl. Right. <laughs> I, I saw a tweet, and, and somebody was like, was Marcus Mariota really holding back a championship-caliber team for all these years? Obviously not, but uh, it's just crazy to think about how that's uh, unfolded. Derrick Henry back. <laughs> Apparently, I mean, which kind of makes sense. I mean, it, you look at it, and Henry – you know, obviously he's been a great runner, and they've ran more with Tannehill. And when you have a franchise guy like Mariota, you kind of, you know, want to almost are forced to pass a little bit because why aren't you passing with your franchise, you know, level, you know, uh, top level quarterback? So, I mean, I can kind of understand where that thought process can come from. Now, as far as the Ravens are concerned, uh, Lamar's Jackson's uh, 2019 was a fluke. Um, I think that's cold. I do. I think he's going to put up video game numbers uh, like he did this season again. Maybe not, but at the same time, I do think he's going to have a good year. I think Lamar Jackson is here to stay. He didn't have just one fluky season. Um, I, you know, it'll be interesting to see. I, I do think he has to develop um, a little bit as a passer, make sure he's developed and polished as a passer because he did have great passing numbers this season, but that's where we've seen mobile quarterbacks kind of fall short in the past as they've relied a lot on their legs. And so, um, you know, as long as he doesn't do that, I mean, he, he's destined for big things. So I, I think that's a cold take. Uh, Lamar Jackson as a, a good quarterback, an elite quarterback in the NFL, I think he's here to stay. Yeah, I agree. That's a hot take for me. Um, or, yeah, I agree. Uh, Lamar Jackson is here to stay. His game is going to translate pretty well uh, going forward in the future. I, I do. I, I agree that he's not going to put up the video game type numbers in the future as well. Uh, he may. He may not. He may have his years where it, it is. But it, for him to grow as a quarterback and to be able to help lead – the Ravens to the Super Bowl and consistently being one of the top teams in the AFC, he needs to get better with his passing. Um, obviously, we saw that they in the in the divisional round, he threw fifty nine times. Fifty nine times. This is a, a quarterback that relies heavily in his playmaking abilities on his legs. Now, that got him through the regular season a lot. But in order to get through the postseason, you have to be able to pass the ball as well. And we saw that when he was put into passing situations, he just was not as accurate and did not have that. When they basically turned him into one-dimensional, he turned into a different player. So that's something he needs to work on in the offseason. I have no doubt that he can work on it and get better in those situations. He's still young. He is still really young, and he's only going to get better. So, I, honestly, I'm, I'm looking at what the quarterbacks in the NFL right now. I'm telling you, I'm going to put my money on it saying five, ten years from now, the two best quarterbacks in the league are going to be Lamar Jackson and Pat Mahomes. Yeah, I, I don't think – Now, I, I'm not going to include anybody that's still in the college levels. Right. I don't know what Joe Burrow is going to look like in the pros. I don't know what Trevor Lawrence is going to look like in the pros or Tua Tagovailoa. I don't know what they're going to look like. But as of, from what I see right now in the NFL, it is Lamar Jackson and Pat Mahomes. They are the future faces of quarterbacks in the NFL. Now, you bring up Pat Mahomes. That brings us to Kansas City. Do you have faith in Andy Reid? I'm saying I know I said that the Chiefs are the best team remaining in the playoffs in my opinion, but I think this is a cold take. I don't uh, not that I necessarily don't have faith in Andy Reid, but it's also this this game against Tennessee is shaping up to be uh 
is shaping up to be kind of a tra- Andy Reid classic letdown. Exactly. Yeah. I, thank you for because I was like it. It just has that kind of feel to it. Of you know, this is a game that the Chiefs should win, and it, you know the Chiefs aren't gonna. I don't think they're gonna come out and put up 51 points in the blink of an eye against you know Tennessee. They're gonna have to grind this one out. You know we and we've seen this in the past where they you know they they looked pretty good going into New England. And obviously that's a different scenario, but they end up losing that game. They were. You know, uh, Andy Reid coach team was up against the Colts. Obviously, the same quarterback isn't still there. But, you know, we've, we've seen that before where it's just been, you know, it, it's appeared to be, um, you know, a, a, a year where Andy Reid's going to coach his team in the Super Bowl and it just they fall up a little bit short. And that's why I'm I'm going with a cold take on this. I think the Chiefs can make it to the Super Bowl, but it might be in spite of Andy Reid. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it is a cold take as well. Um, I, I don't have faith in Andy Reid. I have faith in Pat Mahomes. Pat Mahomes can bail out the Chiefs in a lot of different situations. Obviously, we saw that. We've seen that time and time again. It doesn't have, there's not one specific moment. We've just seen it over and over and over. He is not an easy player to bring down. When you think you have him dead to rights, all of a sudden he has completed a 40-yard pass. It's just it's unbelievable. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't have faith in Andy Reid, um, but I have faith in Pat Mahomes ultimately and you know you know i would love i i i would i don't know i i don't i, I want to see the chiefs in the in the super bowl because i want to see two of the best teams going at it uh do i think tennessee is one of the best team is the best team in the afc no i just think they probably are hot at the right time and i i want to see the two best teams going at it in the super bowl um and obviously the chiefs are right up there now moving on to Houston, uh, do they regret trading Javian Clowney? I think that is a hot take. Yes, they got JJ Watt back uh, for the playoffs, but you know I was looking at the numbers and you know comparatively, um, I think they got. Uh, I think uh, you know I think Kansas City ended up getting uh, I think eight QB hits and five sacks on Deshaun Watson, and it was about half that uh, for. Uh, I don't think even Jadavian Clowney can fix that against Pat Mahomes. Like I said earlier, when you think you have Pat Mahomes dead to rights, all of a sudden he's completed a 40-yard pass. He's not the easiest to take down. But I also think that you know when you have those two bookend defensive ends that are that good, like J- the pairing of J.J. Watt and Jadavian Clowney. Like I mean, we we've seen Robert Mathis and Dwight Freeney get beat by mobile quarterbacks time and time, not time and time again, but but frequently. Uh, but at the same time, you'd rather have that pairing than not have that pairing. And I think that that's where I mean, because there's going to be situations where Mahomes is going to have to stand in and pass it, and if and you would want you know to have two very capable pass rushers right there to get in his face and. and and put him a little bit more under duress than maybe he would normally be. So I think I think it's a hot take just because I feel like they didn't get a lot of pressure on the quarterback uh, against Houston. And yes, you know Pat Mahomes is very elusive, but I think having Clowney would have definitely helped. You know, maybe put uh, you know put that you know put Mahomes under duress and and be a little bit more stable in keeping that twenty four nothing lead. So I'm going to go the opposite here. I'm going to say this is a cold take, mostly because from what I'm hearing, um, rumor mills and everything with um, Seattle is they're contemplating not even bringing Clowney back. Yes, Clowney is an amazing talent, but he didn't get to the quarterback this year like he has in the past. He does have 
now when I say I'm gonna cat I'm gonna I'm going to say this, but he does have some on-field discipline issues. Not like he's making stupid plays or getting penalized on you know personal fouls and everything. It's more of he tends to line up in the neutral zone. He tends to line up on the other side of the line of scrimmage. Um, he gets he's he's good for about three to almost four. Uh, neutral zone infraction penalties per game. And that really haunted the Seahawks in the game against the Packers. He had multiple penalties called against them, pre-snap penalties. That really cost them when, you know, they were potentially stopping an Aaron Rodgers drive, and he lines up in the neutral zone, and boom, there's a flag. So that type of stuff can really hurt you. Yes, he is a great talent, but he's just not putting up the types of numbers that we were expecting him to put up or we've expected him to put up his entire career. He just hasn't really lived up to that billing. So I'm not 100% certain if if the, the Texans really would miss him or not because right now we're in a situation where the Seahawks are saying, we may not even bring him back. We don't know yet. He, it's He's not high on our priority list of bringing people back. Now, speaking of that game between Green Bay and Seattle, that's the final one to look at here. Uh, so for Green Bay, is it fair? Uh, will they fare better than their earlier loss to the 49ers? I think that's an easily hot take there. Um, it, it's the it's the NFC Championship game. Yes, it's back in San Francisco. It's back where the Packers lost by 30. Uh, you know, I, I think it was a Monday night game uh, that they lost. Um, but I do think... Um, that it'll be better. Obviously, this you know the stakes are higher. Both teams will be you know up for this game. Um, now, whether or not I think the Packers will win, that remains to be seen. But I do think it is going to be a good game. Yeah, I agree. It's a hot take. Um, it is going to be a much better game, mostly because Devontae Adams is playing at a higher level right now. Aaron Jones is oh my gosh, one of the most untalked about players in the NFL right now, and I don't know why people are talking about him. I mean, I, I saw him play on Thanksgiving. I thought, oh, my gosh, this kid's really good. And then watching in this – I haven't followed the Packers too closely this year, but then watching this divisional round game and seeing that he is one touchdown away from tying the all the Green Bay all-time single-season touchdown mark set by Ahmad uh, Green. And Ahmad Green was a very good running back for the um, – the Green Bay Packers. So this Aaron Jones has kind of just come out of nowhere and he's right on the doorstep of making history for the Packers. I'm impressed. So I think they're going to play a much better game. It's going to be a really good game. It's going to be a close game. Aaron Rodgers is playing at a higher level now than he was earlier in the season. So I'm expecting a good game. Like I said, I don't, I can't say for certain that the Packers are going to win, but they're going to play much better than they did the first time around. Now, finally for Seattle, is their season considered a disappointment? Now I try to stay away from stuff like this because I don't, I, I don't like to say an entire season is just it's either uh, an amazing season or it's a terrible season. There's no middle ground because I don't believe that at all. But I think if you look back at the Seattle Seahawks this season, and you look at not only the hype of you know getting Clowney at the beginning of the season and shoring up that team and and all the all the talent that they had, they go you know they go they have this amazing season. They beat Seattle or they beat uh, San Francisco. Um, but then it kind of, you know, kind of ended with a dud. You know, you have the home loss to the Cardinals. Then, you know, they didn't 
look all that great against the Eagles. They still got the win, but you know, you, you kind of wonder if Carson Wentz had been in that game, if they would have still got the win. Um, and then they go up, you know, to green Bay and yeah, they end up making it close to the end, but they were down early there. So I, I, I will say hot on this one. I think this was a team that, you know, at, at bare minimum, thought it was going to be in the NFC Championship game and, and, and had bigger thoughts about possibly either getting to the Super Bowl or winning the Super Bowl. So I think this is a hot take. They were definitely, you know, considered to be Super Bowl bound early on in the season, especially with how well Russell Wilson was playing and the way that it ended, not only in the regular season, but also in the postseason, uh, you know, was a big, uh, a big disappointment as far as I'm concerned. You know, I'm going to say this is a cold take. They performed up to my expectations. Um, actually, they probably outperformed my expectations because when I looked at the NFC West, the Rams and the 49ers were kind of the class of it. Um, and the fact that they they finished higher than the Rams, I mean, obviously the Rams had a lot to do with that, but at the same time, I, I, I think Seattle maybe outperformed expectations or performed right where they were expected to. So I wouldn't classify this as a disappointment. This is just the next step for Seattle in their rebuild. Because if you think about it, they've had to really totally rebuild their defense. That legion of boom is gone. They have to retool their secondary. You know, they're not, they have the sudden retirement of Doug Baldwin. So they need some more uh, wide receiving help. Obviously, they got that with DK Metcalf for really showing up big time in the playoffs. But, you know, they, they still have some steps to take. So I, I'm saying this is a great step for them. That They've met my expectations. I don't think they have anything to be disappointed about. I don't think any of their fans have anything to be disappointed about. They went on the road into Green Bay, and they lost to the two-seed Green Bay Packers. Not many people go into Lambeau Field in the playoffs and come out of there victorious. But they so, could have easily been that, that two-seed or been the one-seed. And, and that's why well, I think— they could have been, but it was, you know, it was, it, everything was super close. But I, I don't think— I think had they been the two seed, they would have exceeded expectations. But I think they kind of just they, – they met expectations for this year as far as the, the growth that they're making as a team to get back to being a Super Bowl contender. So before we end the podcast, uh, we are going to make our conference championship picks. Like I mentioned, it's the number two Packers against the number one 49ers in the NFC championship game. The AFC championship game is the number six seeded Titans against the number two seeded Kansas City Chiefs. Obviously, the winners go on to the Super Bowl. So basically, my picks for who's going to make it to the Super Bowl. First for the NFC, I think the 49ers will beat the Packers this weekend. Um, I think they're just the more complete team. I mean, I usually, when teams are this even, I usually go with who's the better quarterback, which in my opinion, um, it, you know, overall would be Aaron Rodgers. But I think even playing now, Garoppolo is playing really well. Um, and I think the tight and, and I think the uh, 49ers are the more complete team. So that's why I'm going with San Francisco. As far as the AFC goes, I am going to go with the Chiefs. I think they're the better team. I think Pat Mahomes is going to play uh, a really good game. It'll be interesting because the Titans are a wild card team still. I mean, both literally and figuratively in where, you know, all season they've kind of been the surprise team. Um, and there's also been times where they've, you know, let, let the, you know, been a letdown as well. But this, you know, they're, they're finally hot at the right time. Um, Derrick Henry's playing really well. So it'll be a very interesting game for sure, but I'm still going to go uh, kind of basically chalk here and pick my Super Bowl as the 49ers and the Chiefs. So in the NFC side, I'm going with the 49ers. 
mostly because of that defense. Man, that defense is really, really good. I mean, this is this is going to be probably the better of the two games. Let's just be honest. Um, and it, it's going to be a close one because both teams have really good run games. Both teams have solid quarterback play, and both teams have exceptional defensive line and pass rushers. So it, it's really going to be a toss-up, but I'm going to go with the team that's been the most consistent this year, and that is the San Francisco 49ers. On the AFC side of things, I really want to pick the Chiefs my mind says pick the Chiefs and everything, but I look at the weather forecast. There is potential for a winter-type storm, rain, whatever it may be. Weather is going to be crappy. And what's going to come down to in that situation is who has the better run game? Who can control the line of scrimmage? And in that case, I my faith more falls in line with the Tennessee Titans. So I'm going to go with the upset special. I'm going to go with the Tennessee Titans are going to beat the Kansas City Chiefs on the back of Derrick Henry and really crappy weather. That will do it for this week's edition of the Crash Course Podcast. Thank you all for listening. Remember, you can follow us at Crash Course FM on Twitter, Crash Course Podcast on Facebook, and make sure that you uh, go to either anchor.fm or wherever podcasts can be heard because now you can hear the podcast on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, and a whole lot more. So make sure that you do uh, you know, show us some love there as well. We will be back on our regular date next Tuesday. Uh, and so we will be talking about, obviously, who will be in the Super Bowl as well as a lot of other topics as well. We look forward to it. But until then, have a good week, everybody.